The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Gone with Disco, Mark Hopp, the rock god, finally put got rid of the Disco and got us a new opening. So we really appreciate Mark Ha doing that. Today on Politics and Tactics, we're going to start off with a little roundtable, just talking about how the world is on fire, and then we'll move to responding to construction accidents, fires, and technical rescues with no other than Mike Wallingford, the construction guru who teaches at FDIC. <laughs> who will be teaching at FDIC again. Um, as everybody knows, I'm all for free speech. And we see what's going on in Israel now. And it's just mind-blowing the hatred that we see to the Jewish people. Now, signs are going up in hopes to spread awareness for hostages. And absent from the conversation is that there's American hostages as well that Hamas is taking. Now, I don't want to silence those who support Hamas and the Palestinians. I want to know who they are so they could put up their own posters. But the fact that they're tearing down posters and we have congressional leadership from the Democrats supporting Hamas is just mind blowing. So I just like to let everybody kind of weigh in on what's going on now. I mean, it's one thing to have a difference of opinion. It's another thing to outright support terrorists. We saw what happened when our brothers and sisters were murdered on 9-11, what happened at the Pentagon, what happened in PA, what happened at nine at the Trade Center. I mean, uh, I'll start with Dave Polikoff. Um, what's your take on all this that's going on right now? Because it, it's, it's, it's a groundswell of, and I just want to say this, Pakistan just got, just expelled hundreds of thousands of people from the desert. There hasn't been any protest in Europe about expelling an Arab population, but yet we see all this hatred from Israel. And as firefighters, we go in the homes of everybody, whether you're pro-Palestine or pro-thing, and we treat everybody with respect. But what we're seeing isn't respect. We're seeing outright hate speech. Um, and I, I think there is a line there. Uh, Dave Polikoff, weigh in. Yeah, like we talked offline, I, it's it's it, it's mind-boggling to me uh, the amount of terrorist supporters that we have in this country, in the Western world. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Like, like you said, I'm all for free speech. And like I told you offline, I want these people to talk because I want to know who they are um, and, and let the world know who they are. But, uh, you know, as far as um, you know, a terrorist organization. Uh, they're, they're calling Hamas freedom fighters. They're not freedom fighters. They're terrorists. Um, they've been, you know, they're they're they they're calling for the ceasefire now, and all that's doing is allowing Hamas. They want them to be able to regroup. There's been a ceasefire since, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, at least since 2014. So Hamas broke the ceasefire, um, and uh, Israel's going to do what they had to do to ensure their survival. And um, 
I support uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't have a dog in this fight, but I support him. Just like when our country was attacked, we did not yield. We did not relent. We went in and we eradicated the terrorists. Um, and, and nobody said anything about what we were doing, um, that, that we had the right to defend ourselves. Israel has the right to defend themselves. And uh, I, I hope they, they push them all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, clean that whole area up and get another governing body in there that supports the Palestinian people and let them govern themselves. But they elected a terrorist organization to govern themselves. And you're seeing what a terrorist organization does. They hide behind women and children and they allow them to be human shields to be killed. They put their, and it's a war crime, as we all know, to put weapons of mass destruction, military grade weapons in hospitals and schools on playgrounds. Um, those are war crimes. So these people out there screaming and carrying on about how Israel's guilty of war crimes are full of crap. They're there to defend themselves. They gave them almost three weeks notice to evacuate, to get out of the north. Hamas is keeping those citizens there. Those are your terrorists. That's all I got to say. Very well said. The only thing that I'll disagree with is simply not having a dog in the fight, because the fact is, as firefighters, Everybody has a dog in this fight because we don't know when the next attack is going to be in America. And people are calling for that attack in America. And it's time for the fire service to double the guard, to not be caught off guard, to make sure that your hazardous material equipment is up to date and not expired, to make sure that your that your technical rescue team, hazmat teams, and everything is ready to go. Because the fact is, we might not know where it's going to happen and it might be not be sophisticated. It might be just a car driving through the crowd. It could be anything. It could be an active shooter. This country now, every 10 years in the fire service, there's a, like a, a buzzword, you know, like techno rescue hazmat where we start doing for 10 years. Well, we kind of got off the terrorism kick. Well, now we just got a, everything kind of went to active shooter. But now we need to refresh on hazmat and response to terrorism because we don't know what we're going to be facing. Uh, we, ha we have to we have to keep our guard up. We have to always look over our shoulders 24 seven anyway. And what I meant about dog in the fight as in political wise, uh, I'm not one of those guys that goes out there and stumps speeches and screams and carry it on. But as far as the fire service, brothers need to protect brothers. Brothers and sisters need to protect themselves and we need to keep our head uh, on a swivel and we need to be able mm -hmm. to spot things that don't look right and report it right away, just like we did right after 9-11, like we did during the anthrax thing, like we did during, when uh, when we were being threatened with all these uh, outside uh, issues that related to terrorism. So again, it goes back, you see something, you say something. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about pre-plans tonight, I'm sure, with Mike. But if you have a pre-plan and you get, we're expanding, you got to use a little common sense. So if you get called to a, say, a bomb threat, and you stage at a certain location, and then the next day you get called to the same location for a bomb threat, maybe you don't want to stage at that same location. So, you know, you got to use a little common sense when you're, when you're looking at responses to anything that could be a possible terrorist attack. Mike, weigh in. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, well, not unfortunately, but um, I'm also the captain, you know, of, of Hazmat Engine here. And when you talked about all of the focus going away from, um, you know, the biological, all the Seaburn stuff, you know, it was huge after 9-11. Um, and, and there was plenty of money out there that they were just funneling to everybody to purchase equipment. And, and the, one of the biggest drawbacks was it's not so much the purchase of the equipment, it's now the maintenance of it. 
And over time, those things, you know, they, they, they go bad and um, it's time to replace. And that money's just not there. They're not, they're not shoveling that money, you know, towards the, the response teams as they were before. So you bring up a great point that, you know, it's, we need to be a little more uh, conscientious of, of that Seaburn side of thing, just, just with, you know, the, the climate of today. And it's also changed a whole lot when it comes to um, it, it's changed a whole lot with, with daily responses. You know, we're, we're already on edge because you never know what you're going into anymore. And, and as, as we've seen throughout the U S it's not just big cities. It's, it's a little bit of everywhere. And, and it, and it's whether it's terrorism from, overseas or even domestic terrorism inside we have those threats daily and if and if we bring up great points of saying you know see something say something and and you know we thought that it was just a coin term for so long and 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 it rings true absolutely sam weigh in yeah just to um uh, echo what both of you said you know with the preparation we've got to we've got to stay vigilant um you know it's this talking about the buzzwords, all hazards, people are getting bent out of shape about, oh, well, we're not really an all hazards agency. Well, to the, to the community we are. And, um, you know, one of those, one of those hazards we have to be trained and ready for is certainly terrorist, uh, terrorist attacks. So we've got to stay on board with that kind of stuff. Um, stay fresh with it. I think people that are students of the job probably do somewhat, especially these days with, um, how prevalent the, uh, the, the, the topic is in the media and, and how things are going on uh, in, in the world right now. Um, but the only other thing I wanted to say was, you know, I think always think about what the, uh, how the firefighters are doing over there, our, our brother and sister firefighters who are having to answer the alarm in the middle of all this stuff and how difficult that must be for them. Uh, despite the fact that I'm sure they're very prepared for uh, terrorist, um, the uh, aftermath of a terrorist attack, but it, it's, uh, I, I think about them all the time. Yeah, and I think that's important that when you have the fire department and you're writing a grant, it's one thing to get the equipment, but Mike said it very well. It's about the maintenance of that equipment, but also the training that goes with it. What's the cost of the training? And the fact is that it doesn't just end when you get a grant. So if your department's going to get a grant, they got to realize that that money will eventually run out and there's got to be a commitment to provide that level of service and the politician should be kept abreast of it. Um, speaking to Dave about see something, say something, um, something's out of place with Sam's fan. Um, is there a, supposed <laughs> to be a light there? What is Bro, what you, is, want, you want the short story? I'll give you the short story. Actually, I think the, where did she put the piece? We're on like piece number five. That's a new fan. It uh, They replaced the whole fan. They replaced the electronics in it. And then they sent us like the light array and the light array doesn't work. So uh, they just shipped us something that's supposed to fix it and arrived today. But that's that's literally been that way for like two months. We've been playing with this fan since we got our new kitchen a year ago. So right. and I refuse to give up on it. I should have just bought a new fan. I could have bought like two or three by this, by this point. We're going to verify that with your wife and just make sure that the package isn't there. <laughs> which, is, which is a more plausible story. <laughs> hey, look, he said he get to it you don't have to remind him every three months to get it fixed he said he'd do it <laughs> i'm <laughs> telling you man typical, yeah typical it's a good, it's a good segue though because we're going to be talking about construction sites like <laughs> dan's kitchen so you know if, if, if i fix it i won't have anything to fix 
That is true. That is true. That is a good so, segue, Frank. <laughs> so Mike, you're teaching about response to construction accidents and fires at FDIC. If you could kind of explain, um, I don't want your eulogy. So many people do that. They sit there. PJ reads people's eulogies like this. It's the whole entire show. I want you to give yeah. me like 30 seconds of who you are and why should you be teaching this at FDIC and why this is important. How's that? Ah, cool. Well, uh, 28 years in the fire service. I'm on my, uh, I've got 17 paychecks left. Um, and then I'm going to ride off into the sunset and, uh, but continue to do this. Uh, in addition to being a captain of the fire department, I'm also the safety director for a large construction and paving company here in Louisville. And it's, it's really just the mixture of both of them, uh, together. Um, my fireside showing up and, and, and kind of looking at, uh, the scenario of my God, what if something happened here? And, and it really all started from one event that happened here locally. Um, and there was a, there was a long pause before they were able to, um, render aid to a young man down inside of a trench because nobody knew if it was good or not. And that local department asked me if I could come by and help out. And, and it really heightened that need. And, um, so now this will be my third year at FDIC and, several other places that I've been, I've been um, blessed enough to be able to go and, and, and spread that word to try to help people because, you know, somebody said it earlier, we're not, you know, you talk about all hazards. Um, when people call 911, they expect us to come and fix it. And, and we're not all prepared for it. Not everybody has a trench rescue team, things like that. So we have to still be able to do something. And, and that's, that's really what the class is designed to do is, is to try to build relationships and, and prepare yourself, even if it's just to do the most that you can with what you have. Um, that's, that's, that's the main, that's the main focus of the whole course. One thing, and I'll kind of go around the, the horn here, cause I'm dealing with both two battalion chiefs that have extensive experience. One of the issues that I had in New Haven right off the bat was whenever we go to a construction site for, say, even a medical emergency, nobody knew where the incident was. It was always mass chaos. So when I became a battalion chief, one of the things that I worked on was anytime we talked to a construction company, I'd say, I want you to do one thing. If you could do one thing for me, we could really help you and your workers. And that is whenever there's a construction accident, I want two people sent to the front gate that had eyes on the actual original accident. So that way you get two people at the front gate. The first one would bring the first arriving company. And then the next one would bring the other arriving company or other resources. And that worked out really, really well. So I want to know kind of the take on that. And have you guys had the same experience where there's a little bit of confusion of where the actual accident is or medical emergency or whatever it is. Go with Sam. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had one a few months ago in downtown Silver Spring. Well, it's probably been more than a few months ago, but um, by the time I got there, they had started to uh, um, package the patient, but uh, they had trouble going down the road. I'm listening to them. They had trouble locating them. Uh, the problem is a lot of times, uh, depending on the time of day and, and the manpower on the um, job site, all of those folks are trying to uh, – get in you know and, and help and uh it's almost like they forget oh well we better somebody better be a sentinel for the first you know the first fire truck that gets here to show them where we are uh they had trouble and then when i got there um they ended up parking on the wrong side of the job site so i see fire trucks i'm like i'm gonna park here 
And I was on the opposite end of the job site. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. And it's one of those things. Um, uh, one of the, the things we're doing at work right now is um, trying to liaise with the community as much as possible at the battalion level, not just, you know, the fire chief talking to the uh, head of general services or uh, community services or whatever. We're, we're talking, you know, within our battalions with people. And um, that's definitely one of the things I've thought about is, hey, you know, maybe get with Clark Construction and a few of these others maybe even have a battalion drill where we where we talk about hey this is what we can do for you and this is what we need from you when we um when we get dispatched to a call for you i, I literally we literally been talking about that semi recently so it's coincidental you know when you were saying that that might be a good thing to have the dispatcher say when they call to send two people up that actually saw the accident kind of to key that uh, dave polykoff weigh in um, my, my, my video went out a little bit, but, uh, I know we were talking about confusing confusion on, on the, um, on the scene of these construction accidents. When I was, uh, working in, in the first battalion down in, in downtown Silver Spring, like Sam had talked about, you know, there's a lot of construction going on, a lot of construction going on when I was working as a captain in Bethesda, um, always high rises going up and, and, and we would experience that, you know, they dispatch you to the address. And then it was like, you know, trying to find somebody that knew what was going on and then being able to take you to that particular place. Um, would always leave my driver when I was a captain at the rig. So if we had some radio issues, we could go on our talk around channel and he could, uh, direct units in, um, but uh, you know, it, it was it was always a different type of car, different scenario. But the same uh, confusion always kind of uh, kind of happened when, when we ran these calls. Um, it's just trying to find out where they are, and you know, then you add the complexity of a high rise, and you know, figuring out what floor they are on, how we're going to get there, what stairwells actually go up um, to to where the victim is. So uh, you know, I don't know if if you know you, you like you had said, Frank, of it, that you can you know, get with these, these um, construction foremen or the managers of these construction sites saying, Hey, this is what I need. There was just so many construction sites there. You know, they're constantly building uh, or building in Montgomery County. It was uh, always different construction sites, different uh, companies that were running these things. So it made it a little bit challenging, but uh, you know, we, we never not made it to the patient. It just never, in my opinion, was a timely in a timely manner. So Mike, is there, do you recommend in your class or are you going to recommend in your class now that because you can't get to every construction site, like Chief Polykoff said, that dispatch has that on the card when they're called from a construction site to ask, you know, someone to go to the gate, ideally two people, but. And that's, that that's a big thing. One of the, you know, they brought up a great point, you know, when you get dispatched to an address, well, one of the, one of the key points that I bring up is a lot of times, that address doesn't exist in your mapping system yet. So <clears throat> having that working knowledge of, of your district is uh, something that's huge. And that's happened to me. I, I, of course, as I'm riding around, I'm paying attention to construction and things like that that are going on in my district. And of course, any, any neighboring district. And we, we were dispatched to an apartment fire. And afterwards, my, my sergeant asked me, he said, hey, he said, how did you know where we were going? I said, well, I just paid attention. I knew on the map it didn't it didn't show a street. It didn't show anything, but I knew it existed. And that was strictly by just paying attention. And and one of the biggest things, you know, if, if the dispatch could say that, that's great. Um, I try to talk to other um, construction, you know, the the safety professionals, and 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 really recommend 
things to do. I, I taught a class at a at a safety conference, and it was you've called nine one one. Now what? And it was really trying to educate the the construction safety professionals and and other upper management or construction companies of how to prepare when you have to call nine one one. What should you be telling them? And and that was something that actually went over pretty well and I think could be expanded as well. So it's just trying to get both sides um, to have a better working relationship. Oh, without a doubt. Do you recommend that dispatch actually sends, tells them to send somebody to the street? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something we talk about. What are ways? Because, you know, my focus is really trying to get the boots on the ground to be out in their districts and check it out for themselves. That's how they're going to learn it. I mean, we can send, you know, our chiefs and, and battalion chiefs and all of that out there, but it, they're going to have great ideas. I, you know, Dave goes out and he meets with somebody. He has all these great ideas. And the day that everything hits the fan, Dave's laying on a beach somewhere. And, and, and now, you know, the boots on the ground are, are left to be like, well, Dave's not here. I don't know where we start, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where I'm highly recommending them to get out and talk to these superintendents of these jobs and things like that to build those relationships so that when they show up, they have a better idea of what's going on in the first place. Because as we all know, every week, a job site looks different. Without it's always changing. And Dave uh, Polykoff brought something up that I think is important. He said, you know, the workers always want to help. And all too often, fire chiefs and firefighters are like, stand back, I got this. You know, because yeah. that's how <laughs> this firefighters are. You don't need to be like that in a construction site. You're much better yeah. off assigning a task. I want that fence taken down. Um, yeah. Here, this is safe here. Move, remove this, get four guys. I want you to not cross this line, but remove the spoil pile for me with shovels, whatever it may be. Hey, can I get five guys that can pull on this rope? Once we get this rigged, can you put them there? If you can put them and utilize those construction individuals as staffing or to move this piece of equipment, you'd be amazed what these guys and girls will do for you. When you say you want it done, they'll jump right up and get it done. Um, what's your take on that, Mike? Uh, well, you know, one of the biggest things that I bring up that's that's uh, has always been in the in the trench rescue world has been as soon as you get there, we want to shut down every piece of equipment that's there because of the vibration, this and that, and this and that. Much like our fire apparatus, twenty years ago, what did our fire engines, trucks, everything like that? You know, they shake, rattle, and roll, just like construction equipment. Today's construction equipment, I mean, I've got some of my largest excavators that you literally can stand next to and you can't even tell it's running. So things are a lot more efficient. And, you know, you mentioned, hey, we need to move some things. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm continuing to do more research before really, you know, shouting it from the rooftops. But, you know, there may be a time where we can use some of that equipment to our advantage. You think of how long it takes um, how long it takes for a rescue or a recovery at any kind of trench incident. And there may already be trench boxes that are sitting there and it may be something as easy as getting something placed in a quick manner to where you can get people in to start hand digging. And we're not having to set, you know, shoring and, and everything else like that because it's already physically there. Um, so it's trying to look at it in, in a different aspect. Um, it's, 
it's trying to open people's minds a whole lot. That's what I'm really trying to do. I'm not trying to tell you that you got to change the way that you do your things. It's just, you may have to look at it in a totally different light because as we said before, when we call 911 and when they call 911 and we show up, they expect for us to fix their problems. They don't care that you don't have the staffing or that you don't have the equipment or you don't, you are there to fix their problem. And I, I, I'm trying to educate so that people don't put themselves in in harm's way and become an even more part of the problem. Because you're going to deal with exactly like you said, when you show up, if you think that those guys are just standing around waiting yeah. on us to get there, we're sadly mistaken. There may be a fight on your hands when you look at them and tell them to get out of there. Because uh, this is somebody that they may hold near and dear and have worked with for 20 years. So that's going to be the first challenge, especially for, you know, my, my first arriving company or first arriving, you know, chief officer. Yeah. And it's not just trench. I mean, you can get called to a construction site for for anything. I mean, it could be a heart attack. It could be a a beast thing. It could be something falls on somebody. Sam, what's your take on trying to utilize some of the construction workers to your benefit? Yeah. I mean, the great thing about them is they've been there since since they broke ground so they're they're certainly the subject matter experts of the site and um you know some of these bigger job sites have safety folks some of them are public have public safety backgrounds and they're also a, kind of a um, a force multiplier force when we show up you know your your site safety guy might be a retired firefighter from somewhere and um they might already have a plan a for you hey I'm thinking if you if you guys can get this you know get get a high uh, get a high point over here with your aerial or or get down in this part here I, I think we might be able to affect a quick a quick rescue or something like that so I, I, I like that idea I, you know it's it's um not everybody's resource rich like you said uh, we we are um, very fortunate uh, I, I keep reminding my guys you have no idea how good we have it um, and we're very resource rich as as a department and a region. And uh, but it's not that way everywhere. And and if you had something set up like that, um, or you had that uh, a resource on site that you could readily use, I mean, you know, I know they don't like necessarily using the crane booms and that kind of stuff. But if that's all you got, uh, yeah, we we become um, resourceful uh, when it when it comes to that uh, based off the lack that that we have and. And you're right, you know, I continue to try to do the same thing where you tell people how blessed we are resource-wise and, and just when they think they've got it bad, it's like, let's go for a ride. I'm going to take you to someplace that they would beg, borrow, and steal to have half of, of the resources or equipment that, that we currently are able to use. Um, so it's, it's resources is so big because like you said, it's, you know, I say it's not all about trench and you're right, but it's, it's confined space. It's, it, you know, there's, I mean, look at the, uh, you know, your, your guys up in New Haven, you know, you, you get, you know, a million, you know, a million square feet or, or you know, several million pounds of, of wet concrete that, you know, collapses somewhere and, and you're having to try to rescue people out of that. And time is of the essence in that thing, because believe me, it's not going to wait to harden just because you haven't pulled them out yet. Um, and, and the guys in Charlotte that, you know, they, those guys, you know, you look at what they were up against with their building fire that, you know, once again, 
starts something small starts as a you know as a as a as a trailer you know on on fire in that building and uh I, all these buildings are are changing around us i was just up in cincinnati uh this weekend this past weekend and it was great because you're looking at a lot of the old you know the, the the old true brick structures and things like that built you know late 1800s and they look beautiful and then right around a corner from it i'm looking at a two-story building they're building and it's you know laminated boards and 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 everything that it is and it, i was thinking my god you know what's it what's it going to do under any kind of flame and we're just all going to learn from it but these construction sites are changing so much and and resources are so limited and and, and staffing and everything so if we're not get out getting to take a look at it we're definitely going to be behind the eight ball when something does happen and construction companies can be a great resource like one of the things that i used to do is you know, it's one thing if you're going to do your initial confined space research on the actual training ground in your simulator. But if you're doing that for your second, third, fourth, you're really getting diminishing returns when you could be working with the construction companies, with industry in your district, so that you're doing a different confined space each year. So you're learning about how to lock out, tag out this equipment, how to you get that relationship building, and then your members are getting more out of it. And then after 15 years, they've been in, you know, 14 different spaces. That that experience um, pays off. A lot of fire departments around the country get notified when a company is doing confined sp space work and they don't really do anything with it other than give it to the fire marshal. No, give it to your rescue company so your rescue company can go out and talk to these guys and girls and see what's going on and kind of develop a plan. If something happens, okay, this is what we can do. I mean, if you could talk to the construction company before you get there and then allow your fire department to train in their space around them, you'll be surprised. All you got to do is ask Mike, what's your take on that? Yeah. Uh, actually just had a, we've got a new recruit class. Um, and I had them out the other day uh, doing my construction class and also building construction. And we toured, we showed up to, they're building a brand new uh, Chick-fil-A uh, very near the district. And um, we made an auto accident right next to there. And I told all of them, I said, pile out, come on, we're gonna go walk around. And we did. And it was great because the superintendent of the site actually walked over and introduced himself. He said, hey, what are y'all doing? I explained everything we were doing. He was like, oh no, y'all come on in here. And so we uh, we got out, we walked in, the guys got to see all the trenching and they were so the invitation was, you know, was wide open, which is a great thing. I continue to tell people, if you go out in your district, stop and see someone, because unfortunately, for a lot of cases, um, OSHA gets that phone call because the fire department's riding by and they see things that they think looks unsafe, but they don't stop and do anything about it because they don't really know. Um, I always said, you know, we as firefighters, when it came to a lot of this stuff, we're kind of dumb about it because we've just never been educated. And and so I want people to stop and learn. And if you see something wrong, stop and say something, because I'd rather you take 10 minutes to pull somebody out of something that looks unsafe to find out that, you know, it's being done right, rather than spending 10 to 12 hours having to dig somebody out of something later on. Yeah, don't just call OSHA or call some government thing. Yeah, Go right. and talk to them. Don't be a jerk. And the other thing that used to drive me crazy is you go to a construction site, whether it's for a pre-plan or to do a drill with them, and you'll have firefighters show up on the site with no helmet and yeah. no steel toe boots. It's like Damn. they get fined for that. You have to 
set that proper example, you better make sure that you're either wearing your turnout boots or you're wearing work boots that are steel toe or steel shank and you're wearing a helmet. Can you weigh in on that? Because that's kind of embarrassing when the site safety officer has to ask your guys and girls to put on helmets. And I've been there. Yeah, there's, you'll, you'll come to a lot of sites that they'll actually, um, they may have extra stuff hanging in a job trailer, so on and so forth. But we come bearing that stuff as it is. I mean, everybody, it seems like has a vest now with all the, all the, you know, the frogger that we're playing out in the middle of traffic, you know, that vest is going to save us. So um, between that and your, between that uh, set of your, you know, bunker boots and, and, and of course, you know, having a helmet, um, that that satisfies the the typical PPE requirements uh, of of most every job site. Now some are going to be more, and and one once again, that's one of those things that you're going to have to learn by making that connection with whatever the uh, whatever construction company it is. Um, but you know, back on the politics side of it, for everybody that thinks that there's not some type of construction going on in your district. When you look at the billion dollar infrastructure bill that's out there and how it's broken down, I mean, it's everything from, from power lines to uh, water lines, to uh, roadways, bridges, everything. These are things that affect every single district or, or, or territory across the entire United States. And and if you think over the next several years, you're not going to have some type of construction project going on in your in, in, in your area, you're sadly mistaken. And, and that's the reason why, once again, I'm, I'm trying to get this out to as many places as possible, because it's just not a, it's not an avenue we've looked at. No, without a doubt. Now, Sam, you're a battalion chief in a busy district. And we've seen some major fires in construction sites. What are some of the things that you think about? <clears throat> I can tell you, uh, the other morning I was involved in our captain's test process, and I had to stop at our at our um, at our tech ops, our, our um, radio uh, warehouse, basically, to pit, drop a computer off. And it was like, you know, I, I was getting in pretty pretty early. It was like five a.m., and they they wrapped the box alarm at around the corner from from uh, where our tech ops is and I'm listening to it. I'm inside and listening to it. And then I hear the update, uh, you know, spreading into uh, neighboring businesses. And I'm like, Oh, okay. It's probably on fire. And I got in my car and shot down to the bottom of the hill. And sure, sure enough, there's this giant header. So, uh, you know, what is uh what does a guy with a bushy tail do? Uh, see something like that. He's not working. He buffs it. So um, I go and buff it. Uh, they get, um, they lay a supply line in, they, they, they start with hand lines and they transition to uh, elevated master streams. And um, I noticed they were having a little bit of a water supply issue. So I ran up to the first engine, Leela, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm like, hey, they need more water. And he's like, and I looked at his intake, he was in zero. And uh, there were, there were uh, other pumpers trying to do like secondary and, and uh, third third water sources and, and they were all going off this one loop and and um dave probably remembers this it was on law strand lane dave it, that main mm -hmm. back there is a city main uh city of rockville main actually frank you might even remember this and it's looped and it's not a big main so um to answer your question one of the things i'm thinking about is is this an area where i know i'm going to have ample water supply or we're going to have to have some really long relays to get some water in here 
um, because these things, when you get there, it's off to the races. These these ones, these uh, these uh, matchstick uh, prefab donut construction and multi, you know, all, all wood things. When they when they set off, the fire protection uh, isn't in place, and it's just wide open. And it, it you know, you're that's the biggest thing I'm thinking about is we, we got to get we got to make sure we have enough water to address this problem right away. Sam, that's a, that's a great point. And a lot of fire departments, if it's not on your computer system, you can have an old fashioned map of what yeah. the water means are in your district. It's not maybe going to be something you pull out initially, but it's something that's going to be needed to be pulled out. So you're not robbing water from other companies. Uh, Dave Polikoff, you want to weigh in? What do you think about when you go to a construction site? Yeah, just to, to, uh, um, tack on to what Sam says. I know when uh, when I was riding the battalion car, when I was in Montgomery County, we had uh, WSSC, which is Washington uh, Water System, um, main maps. So you could actually, you know, as you progressed into your command, you could open up and see what mains they were operating on. A lot of those uh, looped warehouses, you know, you're using private hydrants. So you may even be using city hydrants. And like Sam said, you know, in, in the city of Rockville, some of the mains are a little bit smaller. You may have to start thinking about, you know, even though you're in a tight urban city environment, you might have to lay 800, 900 feet just to tap another main uh, out on the main drag um, in order to bring that in. You may even have to get yourself into a relay situation so you're not constantly robbing, uh, you know, you hit a hydrant. Well, I'm going to go hit this hydrant where you're hitting the same hydrant system. So you're really not gaining anything. Um one of the things that, uh, you know, when I was a battalion chief and when I was riding around and I'd see um, construction sites, I'd pop in, snap some pictures. Um, if the foreman was there, I'd talk to him, tell him who I am. I'm just here, you know, looking at, you know, the new buildings that are being built. Fast food restaurants always uh, kind of uh, piqued my interest because I know they're just small enough to not have to have a sprinkler system in them. And uh, but the, they're just the way that they're built, they're built so fast. Um that, uh, you know, when they do catch on fire in the middle of the night, if it's in the ceiling or whatever, you're going to lose the roof pretty quick. And I think that happened in Houston several years back when they killed a couple of firefighters. And uh, and I tell people, you know, these fast food restaurants, I've seen how they're built. I see what they look like. If it's on fire and it's marginal, whether we're not going to be able to save it or not, go defensive. Because if you die, you're dead forever. In three months, there's going to be a new McDonald's there. So these are things you need to take into consideration, especially with the new construction. But like Sam said, water supplies is a huge issue. Uh, going back to what we had talked about earlier about utilizing your resources on the, uh, the construction site, we've run a bunch of injured people, whether they're below grade or, you know, like in the basement or even up on an upper level. Um, I would much rather use that tower crane, lash into that with a Stokes basket and bring that down to the ground level than to have, you know, six, seven firefighters walk down an open stairwell, six, seven floors, wear these guys out. Um, I'm going to utilize my resources. I've used many tower cranes to, to, to either lift somebody out of a basement or to bring somebody down to ground level. Um, without running the running the risk of hurting my guys uh, trying to traverse stairs that are still under construction may not even have real railings might only have like the, the, uh, the pine, you know, two by four railings. Um, plus all the open area, especially on the upper floors that are under construction, you got walls, you have no ceilings. Um, so yeah, utilize your resources, understand your water supply in that particular area. Um, and it all goes back to getting out and, and doing these uh, pre-plans. 
And if you explain who you are, most of these uh, site managers, they don't mind you being there. Um, you're not OSHA. You're not the police. You, you just want to let them know that if you have an emergency here, uh, we want to be here for your guys. If you have an emergency here after hours, we need to make sure we know how to get in and where to go, who to contact, get phone numbers, things like that. So um, many things you can do as and you don't have to be a chief officer to do that as your, as your company officer, or even if you're on the aim lines coming back from the hospital and you see some new construction going on, you know, let the officer know, make it a drill. And, and on tower cranes, your plan A may be to assign an uh, individual to climb up to the top. So you have a radio there. But while that person is walking there, <laughs> no, while that person is walking there, ask who on the ground has a headset that's talking directly to the tower crane operator. Because you can always send the probie to go climb up there. It's going to take them about 45 minutes. But right. you, somebody standing there with a headset, usually talking. Um, I know I'm going to ask Mike, because do you know the new OSHA crane signal that just came out? Because we used to train our, our members in crane signals. And then we yeah. used to say, there's a headset there. You can actually talk to the person. Yeah. No, no, Frank, you are not going to get me with this again, as you did in my very first oh. hump day hangout. So I'm just going to let you know. Um, but Dave, how dare you say that you're going to use a crane that's not rated for, for, for rescue services. Yeah, uh, it's just, yeah. it's amazing that you would think. Well, the common sense. That. Wow. <laughs> Uh, well, I would much rather use a crane that's not rated for rescue service than end up snapping an ankle and then that dude's off of work for God knows how long managing his uh, workman's comp crap and all that stuff. So now I'm right. going to use a tire crane. If it can lift up a beam, if it can lift up a roof system, it can definitely lift up a, a you know 180 pound dude in a, in a Stokes basket. In my yeah, opinion. well, and you know, some of the things that I bring up, you know, usually tipping when I'm talking in the, in the class, fire is a portion that I do talk about. And I bring up a couple of items that you all already did. And one is, you know, water sources. Sometimes the water source is there, but it's not live yet. You know, it hasn't been tied into a system, you know, or it's the private system and it's not quite, you know, been charged up yet. And so they're really, you, you get into a, into a bind and, you know, when you go to hook up, how do you know, you know, and, and so it's knowing your district a little bit better, but one of the other things that I talked about with them and, and it's been brought up before, but you know, there's, there's not, um, there, there are no sprinkler systems that are, that are in use yet. Um, there's, there's not a fire alarm system. Um, you look and, and unfortunately there were uh, two uh, gentlemen that, that passed in, in the in the, the fire um, that just a couple of months ago and, and, and the poor guys on, you know, on Facebook live and, and people are watching this and he's like, Hey, we're trapped and they couldn't get to them. And, and I continue to tell people in these classes to talk about rescues. And, and I know that those guys in Charlotte made some amazing rescues. I mean, even the one up in the tower crane, you know, to get the guy out that's, you know, he's towering above this building that is just burning from end to end, top to bottom. And, and these are things that people have to think about when they first arrive. And, and, and it's not even during just the day, you know, during the day when there's construction going on, you expect for there to be people there. But if there's a fire in that building, do those people know that there's a fire in that building? Well, not necessarily. There's no fire alarm system there. And then when you start taking, you know, thinking about after hours and you were talking about access, yeah, there's going to be access issues. But the other thing is, how many of your urban campers do you have that have taken up, you know, living spaces inside, you know, some of these uh, some of these facilities, you may not know that they're there. And these th that's just the thing. That's, like I said, that's that's the whole 
um, the whole preface behind the class is trying to open our eyes to a few more things to make people think about a few more items uh, that we just don't typically think about. And just like a commercial fire, you want to stretch the line for the fire that you could have, not the fire you have. Because the time to get a bigger line in place is when everything's... I'd rather have a crew show up to one of those matchstick places and pull a two and a half when there's nothing showing and have some truck guy pull up and put it out with the can to at least get the line in place than to not pull the two and a half and then get caught. And also keep in mind, and I correct me if I'm wrong, it was somewhere just in Canada. They just lost a tower ladder and yeah, maybe the wind shifted, but you know, when you're doing apparatus placement, keep in mind, not just the fire you have, but the fire you could have, I'll go around the horn. Uh, so I'll start with Sam. What's your thought on that? Yeah. You know, um, back to the, that fire I bought the other morning, the, the initial apparatus placement, uh, it was tight between these two buildings and, um, we had no wind, uh, but had we had a wind condition, uh, it, we may have been not necessarily in the same uh, situation that Vaughn um, in Canada uh, found themselves in. But I was thinking about it um, a few minutes into the incident. I'm like, well, Jesus, this is burning straight up, which is good. But if we, you know, if we had a wind condition, I don't know if we'd, have, I don't know if we'd have committed apparatus in between those two buildings. And I, I hope the first first arriving companies would have recognized that. I mean, if it's blowing straight out uh, and you have that limited room, they're going to see that and be like, eh, probably not going to melt the paint off of it today. Um, and they have they had corner positioning uh, corner positioning on either end. But uh, you think about it, goes back into some of the uh, stuff we like to do with our younger folks, uh, especially when they're doing driver's training, getting out and pre-planning, where you're going to put stuff um, with some of these larger buildings, complexes, that kind of thing. Uh, talking about hitting the corners, talking about um, if you have to get in between these two apartment buildings, the best way to do it, you're going to have to take a fence down, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you got to, it's, it's, it's like anything else. And again, it's, uh, you know, not to beat it to death, but this, uh, it's your, you know, if you're a student of the game into the job, all that stuff, whatever, whatever cliched term you want to use. I think we're all, all of us that loves love this thing are bringing that stuff up as much as we can with these younger folks. I mean, I know, uh, nationwide, it's a young fire department right now. Uh, th that I'm a senior chief, not not only a senior firefighter on the job, a senior chief on the job in my department. It's scary. <laughs> um, it, it's a young department. I got you know I got I have a shift. The shift where my battalion firehouse is, the average age is like 25, um, and they're all eager to learn and they want to hear it. You know, the old you know, nobody wants to hear the fire stories. Well, you're not telling them fire stories. You're telling them. You're sharing your experiences with them, so uh, and 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 maybe hitting the rubber uh, with with the road with it. And hey, let's go look at this place. This place burned up a couple of years ago. Let's talk about it. You know, you got to you got to be on it. You you could have had some more experience if Dave Polykoff stayed, but he abandoned you guys in Montgomery County to, to go. He to was front. my work buddy. <laughs> Dave, weigh in on all this. You know, some of the things you need to think about. You know, you're talking about apparatus placement <clears throat> when you're talking about construction, you might not be able to get the apparatus where you actually want it to be. Um, 
especially with your ladder trucks, you know, these places are fenced in with, with tall chain link fences. You may not be able to get that ladder truck right where you want it. Um, same thing with your engine company. You might get it as close as you can, but that 200 pre-connect is not going to reach. So you not, might start talking about leader line operations or even humping four inch hose with, uh, with uh, gated Ys on the end of it and then trying to Y off of that. Um, so those are things that you're going to need to pre-plan with, with these uh, construction, especially high rises. You know, we had a lot of high rises in downtown Bethesda that were being built and, and uh, they were fenced off and you couldn't get the apparatus within, you know, 80 feet of the building. So pretty much unless it was a very a high upper floor uh, fire that you needed to use the uh, the waterway. Um, you weren't really using your uh, your ladder truck and, and uh, you know, you're hoping with that pre-plan that the standpipe systems connected, I know that there are codes that it has to be connected up to certain floors. Um, but hopefully you can find that connection and pump it so that you can utilize your lines work. You're going to be stretching, you know, five, six, 700 foot lines and uh, pumping those accordingly. So those are things that you need to take, take uh, into consideration is, is not being able to get the apparatus where you'd really like to put it. But you're going to have to, you know, really start thinking on the fly um, and, and adjust accordingly. So that's my that's my two cents. Um, I learned something the other day that that I that I didn't know, Mike. So maybe you could weigh in on this. So my son's a construction worker, <clears throat> and they're building a elderly housing in uh, New York, right? I think it's like Westchester County. And be, the green gods to be, you know, everything's got to be green now. They actually engineered the pavers. It's a special kind of paver that grass grows through it. And it's underneath the dirt, like six inches, so that you can put a piece of apparatus on it. But you have to know about it because if you look at it, it just looks like a normal grass lawn, but it's actually engineered for apparatus placement are you familiar with that because that's the first time i've heard of it there there are some new products out there that that people are trying to because you know you bring up the access issues and, and one of the big ones is is trying to park a piece of apparatus there you know typically your roadways um whether concrete or asphalt or anything are are some of the very last things to be placed at a at a construction site so if we've had rain over a couple of days, we're not getting anywhere near it. And when I talk about falls from heights, you know, people that are stuck and, and, and Frank sent me a great uh, video the other day of, you know, a scaffold collapse that actually happened uh, outside of the U S but, you know, all of the guys had on their, their, their fall protection, but now they're dangling there. Right. And, and now it's our job to go and get these people. And the first thought process is always, well, we'll just take our tower ladder and we'll put it right up there and we'll bring them on. Or we'll, you know, our 105 foot stick, we'll go up there and we'll get them down. You can't get your apparatus near them. So it's, it's once again, it's getting out of that box. It's getting out of that mindset that we have everything to be able to handle these all hazards that we're going to respond to because if it doesn't involve a gun, they're calling the fire department. I mean, that's essentially how everything works now. If it involves a gun, they call the fire department too. So, you know, in New Haven, you couldn't get a cop to come to you. So if you moved into the city, they actually told you to say, somebody's breaking into your house. Oh yeah. And I smell smoke. Well, so, in, in, Met in, in Metro Louisville, we, we have, uh, we're, we're well protected. Um, uh, they've, some of them have have run off after um, you know we we talk political. Uh, I won't get into that for here, but it's um, you know you everything that that can happen 
without somebody being held up. It's the fire department they're calling. And we have to be able to show up and do something. We can't stand around with our thumbs in our rears, you know, um, because we're not prepared for it. And so that was one of the other things I added. You talk about pre-plans and, and, and target hazard surveys. And I say we always do those when the buildings are done. You know, when, when they're when they're ready to be occupied and we're worried about how are we going to respond to them. And um, so I did design a form then and I handed out to every one of my classes and I tell them, tell me, I'll email it to you, whatever. And it's literally a pre-plan for construction sites. So it's talking about those closest working water sources and are, are they going to have trenching that's going on there? Are there any kind of confined space hazards? It's something that we can do and sit down with, a, you know, you can sit down with your construction company and you can, you can map all those things out so that we have an idea before anything happens. And my hope is that people start using that form and they spread it everywhere and it gets filled out and nobody ever has to use it. That's the great thing. And it's also important for the fire departments to encourage the construction companies to use some kind of accountability system because who's on the site and where they are is a big, is a big problem. I, my brother was in Middletown when they had the gas plant explosion and they had horrible accountability and they actually had the police. It's a pretty good idea. They had the police come and, run all the license plates that were in the parking lot. And that's how they actually found a couple people that were unaccounted for. And that was done a little bit later, but that's an out of the box thinking of, Hey, we have, we have all these cars in a parking lot here. Let's <clears> run <throat> and see if we can, can get a uh, accountability, maybe something to assign somebody else to um, what's been your experience with accountability for who's on the site. Um, unfortunately, the larger the site you get, the more contractors you have. And um, contractor A does not care what contractor B is doing. It's just contractor B is in contractor A's. He's in their way. Whatever they're trying to do, everybody's in everybody's way. Um, accountability on a large site is almost a practical impossibility unless you have single source of entry and exit. Uh, people are you know, badging in, badging out. Or there's some type of, depending on some of them, they'll have security personnel there that check people in and out, uh, which which does help a lot with that. But you get on a lot of these sites and, you know, some guys go to lunch at 1030, some go at 1130. You don't know if they're back. And even if you ask their supervisors, like, well, he should be working over at such and such area. And and that's what does cause such a huge problem. And and you brought up the, the gas plant there, the, the energy plant that, that they had the explosion at Middletown. I talked about that a lot because I used to teach a, a lot of training in inside um, power generation plants. And, you know, that was that was a big thing. It's like, you know, accountability. Well, how are we going to keep account? And I know like during their outages and things like that, that one was in, you know, initial startup. So. But during their outages and things like that, some of these facilities, because of the federal government and, you know, they fall under NERC rules, it's like it's like getting in and out of Fort Knox in those places, uh, which is a great thing because it helps with the accountability. But you get a lot of these smaller sites or, or even larger sites that have multiple contractors on them, unless the general contractor or the prime contractor has some way of, of controlling access uh, to, to keep that accountability is going to be a, a practical impossibility. There's something else. And before I go around the horn that I want to bring up and great captain, Greg Boyvin from new Haven's rescue, who since retired was big on this is creating a bullpen. And we used to do this not only at construction sites, but also hazardous material incidents. So in other words, what we found is I remember Sergeant Locke 
we uh, had a 55-gallon drum spill on a worker uh, acid exposure, and we had the safety officer for the company who was right there in the command post. Next thing you know, the individual's on their cell phone, and then they were just gone. So when we needed the person, they were nowhere. So we started doing the bullpen. So if we had a representative for the company, we'd assign a firefighter, the battalion chiefs that were that were sharp, would assign a firefighter to manage and stand with that person because they get a call and they like wander off. And the bullpen also helped uh, Captain Boyven. They had a worker fall down a smokestack at a power generation plant for Yale. And he created a bullpen for all the trade workers. And then he was able to go to the bullpen and say, okay, I need three of your guys who are competent to change blades on the saws. So the firefighters were using the saws. They'd pass the saw back and a construction worker would change the blades and pass them up. So I thought that that concept of the bullpen for hazmat and construction sites was very important because people get a phone call and they tend to walk away. Um, Sam, what's your thought on that? Yeah, utilize the resources at hand, right? And, uh, you know, it's almost like the, uh, uh, not to bring uh, EMS into it, but uh, the casualty collection point, you know, you get on the scene and and so you can account for your uh, your victims. You, you you get them in one area, the walking wounded, you get them in one area so so that you're, you're not off looking for people or recounting or add, you know, how it is with a crash, you get there. And now we have two injured, now we have three injured, now we have 15 injured. Where do these people come from? Well, they were always here. They were just on the they were on the sidewalk waiting to uh, decide whether they were going to get insurance or not, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it's a, yeah, it's the same thing with an emergency in- incident where you have this uh, SME uh, that's related directly to, to the incident hand. And, and yeah, they're, if they're a foreman or uh, a manager or supervisor or whatever, uh, you know how that works. Their phone, their phone's ringing off the hook when there's not an emergency. So um and, and a lot of times you get there and you're dealing, like, like you were saying earlier about the, you know, there's 80, 80 contractors on site, Jim, you know, doing different things. Well, while you're dealing with the, the one guy from the, the one company, you know, everybody else is still trying to work unless they, 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 you know, done a halt work site wide. And as you very well know, the almighty dollar, if they can get away with uh, keeping everything else going, they're going to do it. So. Absolutely. Dave. Yeah, it's almost almost like uh, you're you're going to have to put together some sort of a unified command where you know if you get on the scene of of an incident where you're going to need that that site foreman or the site manager or whatever, um, immediately have him come over to your vehicle and and say, look, I know you're busy. I know you're going to have a lot of phone calls. You need to get in my car. You can take phone calls while you're in the car, but you're going to be in my car. If there's somebody else that can handle uh, the things that you need to handle. Uh, that you trust, then you're going to put that guy to go ahead and take those phone calls. But I need you here with me. Um, so that way we had that flow of information. Uh, very similar when we when we used to run anything in Metro. Um, we'd pull up if, if the crews were working below, below grade in the Metro. Um, the first Metro police officer that rolled up on the scene, I'd be like, snap my finger, said, in my car right now. He'd get in the car. We'd shut the door. I said, all right, we're part of Unified Command. You've got your radios that are going to OCC. Um, you're going to give me firsthand information of what's going on. They can see cameras. You can relay that. I can hear that information be- being relayed to you. You can talk to your officers. You can talk to people that are down in the kiosks. 
Um, so we're going to put that unified command together, whether they understand how it works or not. If, if that's an important person that needs to be with you, it's like we're on a fire in, in a high rise of high rise. It's not under construction. Um, the building maintenance guy, I need you here because I'm going to have 500 questions for you. Like, where's your utilities? You know, who do you, who, can we put these people somewhere? Do we need Red Cross? Do you have vacant apartments? I need you here with me. I can't have you wandering around, you know, the fire ground talking on your phone. You need to pass that information off to somebody else. But that person is going to be locked to me. Or if it's somebody that has to be outside of the car, and like you said, Frank, that per you're going to sign a firefighter or a senior firefighter that that you can that know can take that uh, form of responsibility and chain him to that guy. So when you need him, he's coming right back to the vehicle. I like the concept of locking them in a car, even if you don't have a command car, just lock them in the car. They can't get away. <laughs> then when you need them, you can, you can, you can find them. Um, we're at the witching hour here and we didn't want to give away your complete class there, Mike Wallenford, because we want people to go to your class at FDIC. We want to see everybody at FDIC. Dave will be teaching. I'll be teaching and Mike will be teaching. Um, we're going to go around the horn for the last word tonight. Um, Mike, and uh, let us know, what do you think of the, bullpen or locking the person in the car. And the other thing that I used to do, which I think was real, I'm going to date myself because I'm going to call them MSDS sheets. They're called something else now, right? What are they called? Just SDS sheets. We dropped the M. Okay. They dropped the M. If somebody had to write an article, some government bureaucrat probably got paid $50,000 to come up to drop the M. But same thing, when you ask somebody from the company to bring the MSDS sheet for what you're dealing with on that construction site, they'll generally bring you a book that's like this big, that's never been updated. Anytime something's been taken off the, the site or put on, they just put it in. Don't ever let anybody give you that book. What I've seen and heard a lot of chiefs do is they will take the book from the person and then they will assign a firefighter to go through it. No, don't do that. Look at the person from the thing and say, Here's the book. Okay, your job is to find the chemical and give them the chemical name and then tie a firefighter to them and let them find it. So it's, it's a great suggestion. Uh, Mike, uh, last word for the night, and then I'll go around the horn to them. We want to we want you to get back to your poor daughter in the back so she can go get some fun, stop listening to her dad. Yeah, well, we're just finished basketball practice. Time to go home for dinner now. Um, you know, it's the thing of it is get out. I'm, I'm encouraging people to – Get out of their districts, see what's going on, ask the questions. That's how we're going to get educated on this. I, I would love for hundreds of you to show up to my to my class at FDIC uh, on Wednesday at 3.30. Don't know the room yet, uh, but do have the time slot. So it's um, it's it, it means a lot to me to be able to spread this word to other people and hopefully that they take it and take it other places. Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity tonight. It's it's great to talk to other like-minded individuals, even you, Frank. And uh, so it's uh, it's 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 good to be able to uh, to wrap this because it, these are people that that are thinking the same things. They've they've been in those positions, and and it's great to continue to try to encourage that. Sam, uh, it's a great topic. And uh, if I were going to FDIC, I'd be sitting in that class because. Um, you know, look, look at, I don't think there's a place in this country right now that, that uh, doesn't have this, you know, uh, a bunch of stuff being built, being rehabbed, that kind of thing. And um, it's something we don't talk about all the time. And like you said, you know, there's just uh, a lot of times there's, we're pre-planning for something that's already built. We haven't pre-planned for something that's in progress. And uh, that's definitely something I'm going to take back to, the, to my battalion and talk about. So I, I appreciate you coming on tonight and like i said any anybody that's tuning in 
you want to you want a class uh you know everybody can go to the uh, put out fires class i command incident classes i do the uh, trucks classes that's a pretty unique class to go to where you can really get some good takeaways and take back to your to your uh to your people chief polykoff last words of the night Yep, I'm going to do a shameless plug. I will be at FDIC. Looking forward to going back uh, again. Um, Command Under Fire class. That's a, the four-hour pre-conference workshop. And uh, if you get a chance, go find my video. My daughter did the editing and the directing of the video. She did a fantastic job. A little comedic relief in, in it. Uh, I know Frank's already seen it. Uh, so kudos to her. Leave a nice message that you like the way that she directed the video. Um, you know, she's very proud of it and I'm very happy that she did it. But uh, again, Mike, thanks for coming on. Awesome topic. Um, there's building construction going on in everybody's first due area. I don't care if you're out in the rural sticks, they're building houses. You need to go out there and take a look and see how they're built. Find out where the basement entrances are. If they're just single family dwellings, um, so if you do run that call on that development, you know where the basement entrances are, you know where the utilities are. If they're a garden apartments, get in there before they're built so you can see how they're built. You can see where the fire, where the fire is going to run through these common chases. So get out in your first two area, understand building construction, get to know who those people are. So if there is an emergency, you know who to talk to. Mike and Dave, if you could send a link to your videos for FDIC and Mark, our rock star can uh, attach him to the bottom of tonight's show. And uh, Sam was going to go to FDIC, but his wife said he's got to fix the fan. So he's going to miss <laughs> it there, apparently. But uh, that's it for politics and tactics tonight. Uh, Mike Wallingford, who doesn't live in Wallingford, um, is teaching at FDIC construction. Go take his class. Good class. Um, I will be teaching at FDIC tactical leadership on Tuesday and aggressive search on Wednesday. Look forward to seeing everybody at FDIC. And remember, there's only one country in the world that is for the Jewish people, and that's Israel. And Israel deserves our support. So, and uh, we all know what terrorists do. And from the fire service knows better than anybody else. Be safe. It's time to double the guard and pay attention to what's going on out there because I got a feeling the fire service is going to be hit again and we want to make sure we're prepared. That's it for politics and tactics tonight. Everybody be safe and take us off, Mark. Mm -hmm.